Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to episode 21 of the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I am your host, Siobhan Key. How are you guys doing this week? I'm kind of excited. I just finished recording a video for you. It's going to be on the Work With Me page on my website. And it's for any of you out there who've been wondering, okay, what exactly is this weight loss coaching and who's it for? What do you do? And wanting more details. Uh, I made a video that covers all of those topics. I'll put a link to it in the show notes or the description for this podcast episode. But you can also just go over to weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca and click on the work with me page. And remember, if you do feel like you would benefit from having some extra help and an expert eye to help you problem solve any difficult habits or uh, issues you're having with your weight loss, uh, that's what weight loss coaching is good for. I can totally help you with that. And just the next step would be to book an introductory free coaching session with me. It gives us a chance to just get on the phone and talk together to find out how I can help you. They're free and there's no obligation. So if you're interesting, I really encourage you just to go ahead and book it. So it gives us a chance to chat. All right, this week's guest is a fun one. Uh, Allie Kempton from simplynourishednutrition.com is with me. Uh, Allie is a dietitian who I hired a couple of years ago when I was working on partly some weight stuff, but also just some nutrition related to running and really enjoyed working with her. And I'm really happy that she's agreed to come on to be interviewed for the podcast. So Allie is a dietitian, and she also has her Master's of Science and Nutrition. Uh, She works in a private practice in Denver, Colorado. Like I said, simplynourishednutrition.com. She focuses on functional dietetic work, And her main focus is working with women, particularly related to uh, hormone balance and graceful aging. And we'll be right back with the interview. And now, quick break to review a disclaimer. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice, and listening to this podcast does not create a physician-patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional, and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. And now, back to the episode. All right. Welcome to the show, Allie. I'm so excited that you're here. Well, thank you. I'm honored to be a part of this. Excellent. So I was thinking if we start, um, I was going to maybe start by just telling a story about uh, you and I, and one of the um, things that whenever I think of you, I always think of this story. But uh, so I started working with you after finding you on Another Mother Runner. And we'd worked together a bit and we were working on trying to eat kind of quality whole food carbohydrate sources and things like that. And then I remember one particular call I got on with you and I was like, you know, Molly, I just, I don't think I can eat carbohydrates. Like if I eat a sweet potato, I want (laughs) chips. If like, (laughs) if I have whole grains, I want French fries. And I think I'm going to try just not eating it. And then all of a sudden, you, it, to me, it felt like you came out of the closet as a, a secret low carb person. <laughs> and you were all of a sudden like, oh, okay, great. Here's a whole bunch of keto stuff. And 
and you'd <laughs> never mentioned it before, which I find fascinating. But uh, yes, I think it mm-hmm. kind of speaks to. I think it's getting better, but it speaks to the sort of lower carb eating culture, right? Like for a mm-hmm. long time, it was you did it on the down low. <laughs> so right, I, it was a secret underground movement. Yeah, totally. All right, tell yeah. us a little bit about yourself. Yes. Well, I'm actually glad you introed with that story because it really does segue beautifully into my story in that, um, you know, anytime that I get to work with a group of women, I'm going to try to really embrace this idea that women, you're not alone and your journey is so, uh, you're in it with other women. But oftentimes when I get to talk to someone who's so motivated like you were and ready to take it one layer deeper, I'm ready to go there. Um, and that's really how my story began. I actually was a collegiate athlete. I was swimming about 35 hours a week. I, my undergraduate degree is in biochemistry. And so I just hit rock bottom. I truly got to a point where I sat across from a physician and he handed me a report that said, you ha- now are being di- diagnosed with Crohn's disease. And so kind of sat across from him like, okay, what next? And I felt so alone. I felt like I just didn't know what the next step was. And I got the opportunity to work with a naturopathic doctor who was so inclusive. She made me feel like I'm not alone and that there's so much that can be done and that it wasn't just uh, almost this death sentence that I'd just been handed. And she gave me a really realistic way of eating. It was so realistic. It was just little baby steps. And the more that I showed motivation to change, just like you showed me motivation to change, the deeper she went and the more excited she got about taking it one layer deeper. And so I couldn't get enough of it. And I went on to pursue my master's in, in science of nutrition because it was that impactful. It saved my life. Um, and also then went on to become a dietitian because I love the, the cross section between the science and the tradition, but also the personalization. So having the opportunity like I had with you to personalize your experience and give you all of this data that I have about what what hormonal triggers carbohydrates can have on you that was i mean it's an honor it's the most gratifying job i could ever ever imagine so i now have um a private practice in denver colorado and i work exclusively with women um and i specialize in hormone balance now i'm so obsessed with it because i get to see women come back to life every single day nice and so that leads us to today's topic which is more like weight loss when in the perimenopausal postmenopausal uh woman yes oh my gosh this is like opening pandora's box i'm sure and and such a topic of frustration for so many of my clients who are doing it all right you know they they understand what to be eating they're so intentional about how they live their lives and they start to see this weight creep on in areas that they've never seen before right i have these rock star athletes who come in starting to see a little bit more weight retention around their waistline and at my my heart used to just break for them but now that i understand the hormone imbalance behind that there's so much you can do which is why i was so psyched to hop on this podcast and speak to it today nice uh, so where do you start? So when those women come in, the ones, you know, I can't, I'm trying everything in my, I'm not losing weight or the, um, I'm doing everything I used to do and the weight keeps coming. Uh, yeah. what's your starting point? 
the starting point actually doesn't start with food at all. It starts with lifestyle design and it starts with targeted and very consistent stress relief measures. Hmm. So a lot of the women who come into my practice are, like I said, rock stars. They live this very fast paced life. They are wonder woman. And I love to give women permission to slow down and tell them it's okay to slow down and to start their day off in a really slow and intentional way. Some of my favorite tools that I recommend, and I hold women accountable to this, are you know, 10-minute guided meditations on free mm-hmm. apps that really force you into that place where you can really truly come out of that stress mode because at a hormonal level, that stress mode has really negative implications on that intricate hormone balance that you want to see as you go into perimenopause and menopause. Mm-hmm. And so you're talking about um, like kind of having a morning routine that involves meditation, which is something I totally believe in and personally do. Absolutely. That even just really rhythmic and consistent breath work. I mean, when you're in a moment of stress, your breath is the number one thing that you can control. And it also trickles down into every area of your body. Breathwork's another one. I think honestly, just really slow and I would say intentional walks are also another thing because a lot of women who come into me are so athletic that they don't necessarily count a walk as doing anything for them. (laughs) And believe me, I'm in that boat too, right? Here I was, this high-powered athlete. And if you told me that I needed to go for a walk, I would almost laugh until you start to realize what impact that really lovely walk outside has on your day. And I had to come to my knees to really understand or experience these lessons. Uh, That's awesome. Because this morning, I actually, I haven't been able to run for about a week because my back's been sore. And so I actually made myself walk this morning, which it's so funny, because it's so difficult to make myself do that. I can get up early in the middle of winter and go for a run. But to get up early and like leave the house just to walk, my brain completely like throws up all sorts of things. It was fantastic. It was so nice to just go out and walk a little bit in the morning before the kids got up. Exactly. And those are the things that I feel so compelled to encourage and guide women toward in a really nurturing way. Because again, telling someone who's stressed not to stress is an incredibly stressful thing. (laughs) I know when I was in the throes of my just health journey, I needed someone to give me very tangible advice and be a cheerleader to me and give me gratification and a, you know, a little badge, a star sticker to tell me that I had done a really good job with that just to get the wheels in motion. And that's really what I like to be to women because it is, it does have so many implications on hormone health is that stress relief. Mm -hmm. What other tools do you suggest they use for stress reduction? I, I'd say one of the most powerful is journaling really journaling your what's on your mind because the gremlins in your brain can be very loud. And when you get them out onto paper, you can kind of grapple with them. And so my favorite journaling prompts for women start again in the morning of what's going to make today great. So you put yourself in that heart space of excitement and also positivity. It's easy to start your day and start dreading what's coming. 
And so I love that idea that you journal what's going to go right. Gratitude is another great one. So even when you feel like your day is just not turning out the way you expected it to, journaling what you're grateful for flips the switch and allows you to almost um, psychologically, but then physically transition from flight or fight or flight into that relaxation response when you start thinking about what you're grateful for. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I love this because like people are going to click on this podcast episode of a dietitian. We're going to learn about low carb. And the fact, you know, we haven't really actually talked about food yet, I think is fantastic because I'm always saying, you know, it's not, it's not about the food, like the food's a symptom. Like, mm-hmm. or when I say the food's a symptom, I mean the overeating and the eating junk food and stuff. It's a symptom of the other stuff. And you have to like go down to these lower levels, like how do I manage my stress and what do I do for self-care to take care of myself and make myself resilient so later in the day I don't actually want to eat all the crap. Um, it's like so important. It truly is. I almost cringe introducing myself as a dietitian because there's this instinctual cringe of what is she going to ask me not to eat and instead i introduce myself as a lifestyle architect because it truly is about that architecture of how you live your life and oh by the way you eat the way you love and that's when i know that i've taken someone to the promised land right Mm -hmm. all right so talking about food uh so somebody's you know dealt with their stress the one thing we didn't talk about about stress is sleep. I imagine that's um, another big oh gosh, area. Do you, have a, do you have a few more hours? <laughs> 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 Truly, sleep is one of the most important things that I think it's so easy to sacrifice. I know I always sacrificed sleep in the name of productivity. So I, if someone is not sleeping well, we will spend session after session on sleep until they are sleeping well before we even talk about food because sleep recalibrates your hormones while you're asleep. It's free. It's absolutely free. And there are drug companies out there trying to replicate what sleep can do for you. And it's impossible. And so what are your best tips then? What do you find most helpful for somebody who's chronically not sleeping well to get them back sleeping in a better routine? Become a robot at night. Really tune into what's called a sleep hygiene routine where you do three to five things that are exactly the same as you prepare your mind and body for sleep. Because our bodies are so in tune with what we do and we're just giving it tiny nudges that we're getting ready for bed by doing the same things. So easy examples, I mean, even just washing your face, brushing your teeth, those are things that count, but I would even think deeper and maybe there's certain smells like aromatherapy that you can use. And you'll start to experience that Pavlovian response so that when you smell that smell, you'll start to get sleepy. It works. Mm-hmm. Another thing that I would recommend is turning your, the temperature of your room down. It's, that's an uncomfortable thought, but you do not want your room hot. You want your room kind of cool to go into the deeper layers of sleep. And the darkness impacts that as well. Don't let any light, not even the light from a TV monitor or a computer screen, nothing, no light in your room, because that just prevents those deeper layers of sleep that you deserve. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what, so if we move on to more of the food side of stuff, 
or sorry, tell me if the, you have anything kind of between the stress management and food. No, I think that's a perfect segue. I think okay. sleep is a form of food, so we'll go straight into food then. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so where do you start with that? You know, I'm always a big fan of looking at quality, as you know, um, in our, you know, the, almost the general advice that you were given from the beginning is quality, quality, quality. But quality, especially as it pertains to carbohydrates, is my first recommendation. And we're talking to a group that's very excited about a lower carb ketogenic approach. So I love that we're already 80 to 90% of the way there. But my challenge to everyone is to make sure that the carbohydrates consumed are completely unpackaged. And what I mean by that is there's no, no processing and no almost manipulation of the quality before it hits your mouth because that has really negative implications on hormone balance, especially estrogen levels. Estrogen and insulin are inextricably linked. So when you have these spikes in insulin from higher processed carbohydrate intake, you're going to see that trickle down into an estrogen imbalance. And so when I get the opportunity to talk to a group that's already decreasing their carbohydrates, my encouragement is to go one step further and unpackage those carbohydrates. So you're talking like whole root vegetables if you're choosing to eat carbohydrates. And if you're eating something like a grain, it's like the whole actual grain. It's not uh, ground or um, made it, it like processed in any way. Bingo. So if you're going to eat wheat, it's wheat berries. It's not the bread. And um, when you do that, and you know everyone's just a little bit different in terms of how many carbs they can tolerate and still maintain um, ketosis, and but a whole carbohydrate is going to have much less of an impact on your blood sugar, and that's just that's a key component for every woman I work with when it pertains to hormone balance, especially the the dance that estrogen and progesterone play. And so they have much less of an impact on your blood sugar solely because of the the fiber content in them, or are there other factors that uh, influence that? Well, fiber is part of it, but as you know, some packaged carbohydrates have added fiber. So yeah. I think there's even more to it. The complexity of how the nutrients are stitched together is so, it's kind of hard to replicate just like medicine can't replicate a drug for sleep. Um, it is impossible to uh, almost modify uh, or restitch together a processed carb to mimic what you can get through, you know, as simple as like a, you know, a baked vegetable or a baked root vegetable. And if you think about it, you know, our non-starchy vegetables are carbohydrates, um, but they have such low impact on blood sugar. That's why you can eat so many and not see huge sugar cravings spur from those, right? Like when you eat broccoli, which is a carbohydrate, mm -hmm. you don't want to go eat a bag of M&Ms, do you? Not usually. Depends on the day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I love your honesty. You're awesome. This is why I adore working with you. Um, yes, but broccoli chips. Here you go. You know, there's so yeah. many new chips in the States right now. I go to the store and I'm like, oh my gosh, kale chips, carrot chips, 
broccoli chips and I'm so enthralled, but let me tell you, the second I eat those broccoli infused chips, I'm ready to hit the sugar bin. Hmm. That's mm-hmm. interesting. Hey, I, I find that like, I, I just find the, the impact of what we eat on our appetite and what we want to eat is so huge. And it's something I never fully understood until, until essentially I cut carbohydrates out of my own diet and ate more fat. And all of a sudden I was like, Oh, you know, all those things I used to crave or feel I needed and couldn't resist no longer have that same power. Now they're just food. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's fascinating. I find. Mm-hmm. Um, so talk to me about the estrogen and progesterone. You've mentioned it a couple times. Yeah. So uh, there's a delicate dance that estrogen and progesterone play throughout your cycle. And it's, it varies depending on whether or not you have a regular cycle or whether you're in perimenopause or menopause. But one of the imbalances I see more often than not is low-grade estrogen dominance. And what this means is that estrogen has just popped its head above progesterone. And if this happens, if you are cycling and this happens right before you have your period, you're going to experience weight retention, water retention, breast tenderness, these, the iconic signs and symptoms of PMS. That is low-grade estrogen dominance. If you aren't cycling normally and you're through menopause and you're experiencing those, that's, it, it doesn't mean that you have high estrogen because all your sex hormones are low, but it does mean that your estrogen is potentially above your progesterone. And Think of it this way, progesterone is like Prozac. It is a sanity blanket. Progesterone is so impactful for keeping you calm and rational. And so if estrogen pops above progesterone, you're gonna sometimes feel reactive and just a little bit more um, a little bit more anxious and irritable. And so one thing that I like to recommend, especially to women, who are in perimenopause and menopause is to decrease their exposure to estrogen that comes through food. Hmm. Yeah. And the number one source of estrogen that we find through food is in dairy. So it's interesting because I don't ever like to tell any woman that they may not eat a certain food, but when it comes to dairy, I'm going to recommend that women are very intentional about what dairy they eat and what dairy they don't eat. So that dairy isn't just a three times a day, every day staple. And so the estrogen in dairy, is that coming uh, solely from like the growth hormones and things that cows are given? Uh, or is it just by fact it's coming from a lactating cow? No matter what, it's coming from a lactating cow, but it's accentuated when, it's, when there's growth hormones involved. So I think it's important to look at the quality of your dairy because you'll decrease the estrogen component by getting really high quality dairy that doesn't, hasn't been exposed to that. But yeah, it's coming from a female cow that's lactating. So there's lots of estrogen. Um, and, and so I think, you know, if you think through the lens of what, what, what dairy is your favorite, if you think through milk and cheese and sour cream and cream cheese, pick your favorites and find dairy alternatives to the others. Mm-hmm. And dairy alternatives are starting to become really high quality. I know I used to cringe when I even thought of a dairy alternative. Mm-hmm. 
almond milk tasted like water to me. Um, you know, uh, non-dairy yogurt just didn't do anything for me, but there are some awesome new brands that I'm seeing across the board. And I, I'm assuming that's happening across Canada as well. And that makes it pretty easy to then be picky choosy about what dairy you consume. Mm-hmm. Or like you can also just choose just to not eat, like not eat dairy or dairy alternatives too, right? Like, absolutely. Like just yeah. the way of eating that doesn't include it as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that also like, cause one of the things I think a lot of, so w- women who are perimenopausal and eating lower carb often just can't eat the same amount of fat as somebody who's not perimenopausal. Mm-hmm. And so like often when I talk about dairy, it's more from the fat perspective, right? Cause if you're eating a lot of higher fat dairy, that adds up in fat uh, content pretty quick and over the course of a day. Um, and so do you think it's like the impacts of dairy, is it purely from your perspective hormonal or is it also just food energy dense um, sort of additives to our meals? That wasn't really you know, a sentence and I apologize. No, I completely, I, I understand exactly <laughs> what you're asking. So is my, um, what I'm hearing is, you know, do I discourage dairy for the energy density that it adds to the meal or the estrogen content? And I think it depends on the person. I agree with you in that I decrease the amount of dairy or fat that I recommend as women are going through menopause. And so dairy is a one-two punch, estrogen and fat. And so for that very reason, I will recommend a dairy alternative and be more more adamant that that switch is made. Um, But really only to the degree that, that the woman sitting across from me is motivated because I hate that idea of of pushing someone into this black and white, all or nothing. But I think if I just plant that seed of saying, you know, you're showing signs and symptoms of estrogen dominance and estrogen is in dairy, I think that it there's more buy-in. I love women knowing why I'm recommending things. Yeah. Um, so how do you handle the question then about, because of course, perimenopausal women often are worried about bone health. And we've been taught through our food guides for years, you need to have dairy so you get calcium for healthy bones. So what's your perspective as a dietitian about the calcium content if you start cutting out dairy? Yeah. So the good news is that I have just a repertoire of foods that give a punch of calcium, but a punch of calcium with other vitamins and minerals that allow for calcium to be absorbed into the bones, even better than dairy. The top source of calcium, I cannot stop singing its praises. It's like a multivitamin from nature are stinging nettles. Hmm. Stinging nettles are a weed and they grow across um, areas that are prone to more moisture. And they typically survive winter because they're that hardy. And so I have my clients drink nettle tea. It is a powerful punch. A cup of nettles has 2,900 milligrams of calcium. Oh, wow. And your recommended daily allotment is four to 500. So you can have a little bit of tea and get a ton of calcium. Um, so that's an easy one. But so is that nettle tea made like on your own from real stinging nettles? I'm thinking of the ones that keep stinging me when I'm in my greenhouse. Or is it like purchased uh, nettle tea like at a health food store? 
Either one. If you have access to stinging nettles, my gosh, use those for sure. Um, Never had a reason can... to be happy about my stinging nettles. That well, there you I go. I'm so jealous. Bad gardening. <laughs> no, no, I'm jealous of you. I actually pay an herbalist in Denver to drop off stinging nettles each week for me because I I don't have I don't have the wherewithal to keep them up. Although they are weeds, so they probably grow rampant. But anyhow. You can make stinging nettle pesto. As long as you blanch them, the sting is removed. Um, And it's pretty phenomenal. I'll share with you uh, a little chart breakdown that I created in grad school that shows the vitamin and mineral content of stinging nettles compared to what we deem to be superstars, kale, um, dandelion, uh, cabbage, and it just breaks it down for you. So that's an easy way. But another way to have it is just by buying nettle tea bags. I, that was my first exposure and um, it's easy and it's just a good almost tiptoeing into the world of nettles before you just take a dive. Okay. So how do they taste? <laughs> so they're earthy, you know, um, <laughs> they're not medicinal, but they're definitely, what I like to do is I pair stinging nettles with um, spearmint and it makes what tastes to me like green tea. This is going to sound very functional, but the more you need it, the better it'll taste you. So you'll go through periods where it just tastes so good. And I remember this when I was um, at kind of swimming quite a bit and I knew my bones actually needed the support just because I didn't have any weight bearing influence on them. And I just guzzled nettle tea. I don't guzzle it anymore. I don't feel like I need it quite as much, but I still like it. And so you can kind of intuitively drink and eat as much as it sounds good. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Never would have thought of stinging nettles. When I asked you that question, <laughs> it would not have been my guess. <laughs> I know. I, I love throwing you for loops. I thought you were coming out with canned salmon and eating the bones, which I yeah. can't handle, but uh, that's fantastic. Okay, what good. else? Awesome. Um, so actually canned salmon. Speaking of, um, no, but yeah, sardines actually would be my recommendation just cause they're so sustainable and, um, you can do lots of things with the sardines, but let's go to, uh, an even more accessible option that won't make people cringe. Um, mineral water. I love mineral water for the fact that it has so much calcium, but again, it has calcium and other vitamins and minerals that allow for absorption. That's the key thing for me. I'm looking at the research on calcium and you want to get it in combination. You don't necessarily, research is just indicating time and time again that that's more impactful. So I would say my top three sources, well, we'll go go four. Mm -hmm. Dark leafy greens and nettles, kind of one and two, sardines and mineral water. Okay, nice. Yeah. Middle rotters far easier to get your mind around. Quite literally. Sardines in the bones. Yeah. Um, Okay, we're almost out of time, but any other kind of last, like, big tips that you have? You know, I think um, the only other thing that I would recommend, and I think this pertains so beautifully to women, um, just because we have so much exposure to it, but really cleaning up your, your products that you use for your beauty regimen and for your, 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 uh, home care, because we're, ta- we're on this topic of, um, estrogen and there are 
almost false estrogens that the body registers through chemicals. They're called xenoestrogens. And so I just do a really thorough job of looking at the products you use and making sure that they aren't just loaded with chemicals. And that if I were me listening to this, I'd feel really overwhelmed by that recommendation, but mm -hmm. take it in a systematic way. You know, start with just your hair care and just do some research. Talk to your friends, ask them what natural stuff they use, or maybe you guys work on it together because that makes a big impact. If we're trying to avoid this estrogen dominance, this pseudo estrogen dominance, that's a very accessible way to decrease your exposure. Um, and then I think the next place I would go would be cleaning products. There are so many natural cleaning products that are coming to the market um, that are just simplifying your, your uh, cleaning re regimen. I know when I started tapping into the world of natural products, I used fewer things to get the house clean. Um, and I just, it, it feels really good to know that you're not exposing even just your pets and your kids to the chemicals, but oh, by the way, it's also helping you with that hormone balance you're trying to strike. Mm -hmm. And then the other place is I, one of my obesity medicine conferences, there's a great talk about uh, this sort of stuff, but also particularly uh, the impact from food containers. Yes. So like plastic containers and, you know, if you are going to use them, don't heat them. Um, so don't microwave stuff in a plastic container because it releases more stuff and ideally hand wash plastic containers instead of putting them through the dishwasher. Yes. I love that. And it, it's one of those things where you think, oh, that's simple. I just keep forgetting. And so really tuning into just those tiny things that add up will make a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right, Ali, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. It's been great to sit and chat with you again. Well, you're very welcome. It's an honor. I love knowing that women are going to be tuning in from around the world. And um, just I, I'm hopeful that everyone feels really empowered because we, are, we all are in this together. Um, and it just it's the simple things that make a big difference. And where can people find you? What's your webpage? Yeah, so... Simply Nourished Nutrition is my website, and there you can find really simple tips and tricks. Um, I post a lot of them on my Instagram as well. And when you log in, you'll find that it's almost refreshing to know how, how simple it can be to really feel alive again. Awesome. Well, thank you, Allie. We'll talk to Wasn't you later. That great. I really okay, love a you. chance to talk to Allie. And I think she really resonates for those of you who really like a natural approach um, to your eating and your nutrition. And so just to summarize some of the biggest points that she said is, if you are going to eat carbohydrates, make sure they're quality sources. So there's a big difference from eating chips or eating a sweet potato. Uh, it behaves differently in your body. It has different nutrition. Uh, as you heard, if you are struggling with weight and you're perimenopausal or postmenopausal, watching sources of estrogen in your diet may help. Uh, so that's watching external sources of estrogen through chemicals, plastics that we eat out of, things like that, but also sources that are in the food uh, like milk. And what Ali was suggesting she does with her clients is limit dairy to the type that the person really likes and it's really important to have in their diet and let the other type go. And we did talk a little bit about 
what to replace the calcium from the dairy with. And surprisingly, stinging nettles was one of her top ones, which I never would have guessed. Uh, but uh, she had some other ideas as well there, like sardines and other leafy greens. If you have any questions about this episode or any other episodes, shoot me an email at info at weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca. Uh, I'll put Ellie's information on the blog post and in the uh, podcast description as well. And remember, if you're enjoying this podcast, please subscribe so you get all the new episodes. You wouldn't want to miss any of them. I've got great things planned. And please consider leaving a review. All reviews really help the podcast get found, and I appreciate every single one of them. All right. Have a fantastic week, guys. We'll talk to you next week. Bye.